0: CDC reports that
1: 6.2 million Americans are impacted by heart failure. Today, we are joined by Dr. Noor Subah, Cardiology Fellow at Mercy One
0: North Iowa Heart Center. How are you doing today, Dr. Subah? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Liz. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here.
1: <laughs> I kind of just want to get start off the bat like, kind of tell me what it is that you do at Mercy One.
0: So currently I'm just finishing up my second year of cardiology fellowship, and then I will be starting my third year of cardiology fellowship, and I'll also be the chief cardiology fellow. So being cardiology fellow, we go through multiple different rotations to get a full scope on how to manage different cardiac patients. We evaluate imaging on patients, see patients in clinic and see patients in the inpatient setting as well. Awesome, super cool. So I'm kind of
1: interested on how you you decided to choose cardiology as your course
0: of study. I fell in love with cardiology because of the research that's driven behind all the answers that we have, and it it's a very objective field of medicine, but also it still retains that art of medicine as well, where every patient is very unique. While we do have a heavy amount of research in the cardiology field every patient is different and we're able to tailor the data that is out there to create a unique treatment plan for our patients.
1: Yeah. All about personalized healthcare, right? Make sure we're getting the right healthcare to the right person for the right need. Love that. Yes. So we're here to talk about heart failure. Can you kind of briefly describe what is heart failure?
0: So heart failure is typically a constellation of signs and symptoms due to inability for the heart to relax appropriately for blood incoming into the heart or pump appropriately to push the blood out of the heart to get enough blood and oxygen to the rest of our organs. Is that like the systolic versus diastolic? That's exactly correct. So systolic is the inability for the heart to pump blood out of the heart efficiently. And diastolic heart failure is the inability for the heart to relax, to accept blood into the heart.
1: Another word that, or a term that comes up a lot of is, is congestive heart failure. So how does that fit in?
0: Congestive heart failure is more of an older term, but it's typically patients that have symptoms of volume overload. So that's usually one of the symptoms that patients can have is they they can experience shortness of breath or they can experience swelling in their legs. And that's typically what we previously thought of as congestive heart failure. They're congested is how you would think of it. So they're volume overloaded, they're congested. So that's where that term comes in.
1: Oh, okay. That's so fun. That's so cool. I would never have thought about it that way. Is that more to describe symptoms or does that fall into like systolic versus diastolic?
0: It's more to describe symptoms and how a patient is at that time. So a patient might have, you know, a peer volume overloaded at that time, and they might have symptoms related to being congested. But currently we usually describe patients as having heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, which is systolic heart failure and heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, which is more of that diastolic heart failure that we were talking about earlier.
1: Got it. So what causes heart failure? I'm sure like a lot of other heart conditions and just health conditions, family history can play a lot into it and like health and wellness, but what else can cause heart failure?
0: You mentioned a couple of things that can cause it already, but some things are coronary artery disease, like blockages in the arteries that supply blood flow to your heart. That's a big cause. One of the number one causes of systolic heart failure, and it can also cause diastolic heart failure as well. The other thing is age Over time, patients can develop diastolic heart failure, drugs of any kind, including chemotherapy drugs, which is why on certain chemotherapy regimens, the oncologist might recommend that the patient get an echocardiogram as a baseline and then throughout their chemo regimen to make sure their heart function is not getting worse over time. Some of the other things is viral illness as well. We're coming out of the COVID pandemic, but there were a lot of patients that had inflammation of their heart muscles, which led to heart failure as well.
1: Oh wow. Well I'm guess I'm curious what other like kind of viral and illnesses like can the flu lead to it or is it more like I guess I'm curious what more?
0: Yeah, the flu can lead to it or, you know, any other viral illness. There's some viruses from other countries. You know, if you go travel to South America and you come back, sometimes there's some viruses that can even cause heart failure as well. What I also didn't mention is drug use. So illicit drug use, you know, methamphetamines, cocaine, and then alcohol actually for heavy drinkers, that can also lead to heart failure as well.
1: So I know we kind of
0: touched a little bit
1: on some of the symptoms of heart failure, one of them being shortness of breath and that
0: congestion. Can you just run through some of more symptoms for us? Sure. So, you know, you might have a shortness of breath A lot of times when it progresses to the later stages, you'll, you you may have shortness of breath with just sitting there, but it can present with just shortness of breath. When you're walking around, you might feel a little bit more tired, more easily, and just generally just more fatigued. You can have swelling in your lower extremities. And then the other thing is you might not be able to lay flat like you did before, or you might feel like you need a couple more pillows So these are all things that, you know, can give us a clue. There might be some kind of issue with the heart.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. I can imagine like not being able to like just lay
0: down. Is it like an uncomfortable feeling? Right. So sometimes patients may feel like they're drowning. Or sometimes it's just an uncomfortable feeling. And so, you know, they might come in and that's one of the questions that we ask is, okay, how many pillows are you using? You know, sometimes patients use two, pa- two pillows at baseline, but then they might say, okay, you know what? In the last two weeks, I've been using four pillows or I've been sleeping in my rec- recliner because I can't even sleep in my bed anymore. That's crazy. The swelling,
1: I am curious. So we're about like swelling in like the legs and other body parts. I'm curious if there's like if it's like a really bad kind of swelling, like where it's like tender or just like kind of like really noticeable. And then also like is it fast onset swelling, if that makes sense?
0: It's not necessarily fast onset. It'll take a couple of days to to accumulate. So it won't, you know, just suddenly be there. And what you mentioned is called venous insufficiency. So as we age, sometimes when we're on our feet a lot, we'll get swelling in our legs by the end of the day. And usually with that is if you keep your legs elevated, the swelling will improve. But with heart failure, it won't necessarily improve. Usually you have to take some medications to help get rid of the fluids.
1: Oh, awesome. Thank you for making that distinction. I think that helps, like, be able to clearly see the difference. What are some common misconceptions about heart
0: failure? One of the misconceptions may be that it it sounds like a very scary term and it can be very serious if left untreated. It has a pretty high mortality rate. If you know, we leave it untreated up to 50%. Right now we have so much research that has been done in the field of heart failure. And we have a lot of new medications that have come out that have been excellent in helping patients live healthy, fulfilling lives and to even reverse the heart failure that was done. So
1: I am going to want to come back. Back to that kind of topic of the reversing of the heart failure. To continue on somebody's journey of getting the diagnosis of heart failure and then treatment, how do you test for heart failure?
0: So there's a bunch of different tests that we can run. Typically, our go-to test is doing an ultrasound of, of the heart an echocardiogram. And that helps us assess how well the heart is pumping, how well the heart is relaxing, any other abnormalities related to the valves and the structure of the heart. And so that's usually our go-to test to validate. And it's also affordable and, and not too costly, and it's not uncomfortable for the patient. If the echocardiogram doesn't give us a clear idea, we have multiple other imaging that we can use, CAT scan, cardiac MRI. So we have a lot of options now. Other than the imaging, we also do lab testing as well. So, you know, just basic labs. We also get thyroid panel to make sure that that's not a contributing factor and lipid panel and also BNP, which is stands for basic natriuretic peptide to evaluate a baseline on how bad their heart failure is. And if they're coming in with a heart failure exacerbation, that can also give us a good idea if they're in heart failure exacerbation or not. One other thing that I will follow up on is one of the big contributors of heart failure is sleep apnea as well. So I know, you know, patients here, we see a lot of patients that are untreated for sleep apnea and over time that can progress to a multitude of cardiac problems, including rhythm problems, but it can also lead to heart failure as well. So these are some things that, you know, we would recommend for our primary care providers out there and for our patients that if you're snoring at night, or if your spouse is saying that you're snoring at night and you're feeling fatigue throughout the day and that you didn't get much sleep. Definitely recommend going to your primary care provider and saying, Hey, I, I, you know, this is, these are my symptoms that I've been feeling. Maybe I should get treated for sleep apnea.
1: Wow. Interesting. It's very interesting how sleep apnea really relates to the heart as a whole.
0: Yeah, it's definitely very important. And it's not just important from the scope of heart failure, but also from a rhythm standpoint and down the road, it can affect lungs as well. It's something, you know, that is underdiagnosed, I believe, but can, you know, if untreated can lead to a whole whole slew of medical problems down the road.
1: Yeah. While we're on the topic of risk factors of heart failure, are there any other risk factors
0: for somebody to be aware of? Yeah. So we mentioned some earlier, you know, age and then, you know, minorities are a, a little bit more at risk of heart failure too. And any patient with heart disease, diabetes, any patients with renal Uh, dysfunction, they're a little bit more prone to that as well. And patients who have rhythm problems as well. So if you have history of atrial fibrillation or any kind of rhythm that puts you in that fast heart rate, that can over time, if that's left untreated, that can predispose you to heart failure as well. And then one thing specifically about diastolic heart failure is women tend to be more prone to diastolic heart failure as well. So that is something that we've seen. Is there a reason why? It's, it's hard to say exactly, you know, why <laughs> women are more prone to diastolic heart failure, but yeah, unfortunately that's the case that, you know, yeah. as more research is being done with women, you know, it, there's a lot that is being uncovered.
1: Wow. What an interesting pattern though, right? Exactly. Can't wait to, for the research to explain why that will be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you mentioned heart failure exacerbation. I guess I'm curious what that means.
0: So heart failure exacerbation is basically when a patient is, you know, it's an exacerbation of you know, their underlying condition, which is heart failure. So that usually means that they're very short of breath, they're very symptomatic, and they're volume overloaded. So the treatment for that is to give them more medication to help get the fluid out of the system. It's more of an acute issue of the chronic problem that is heart failure. So you're kind of
1: led me right into my next question, which is treating heart failure. Can you just kind of
0: go into it a little bit more? Sure. So for patients that are coming in with acute heart failure, our go-to treatment is to get the fluid off of them. So give them a diuretic like furosemide, or some patients may have had it explained to them as a water pill. So usually at home in the outpatient setting, we send patients out on something called furosemide, which is an oral pill, and they'll, you know, urinate out and it maintains a euvolemic or normal volume state for them. In the inpatient setting, we might give them an IV version to help get more fluid off of them a little bit more aggressively. And at the same time, monitor their electrolytes to make sure that they're balanced as well. With the diuretic, it helps the patients feel better, go back to you know their previous way of functioning. So they'll be able to lay flat if that was one of the complaints that they came in with, or their swelling will improve, or they'll be able to walk the same distance that they were before. In terms of the other medications for heart failure, there's four classes of heart failure medications that have been shown to have improved mortality in the long run and also help to improve reduced ejection fraction of systolic heart failure. So the first one is our ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor binding medications, and ARNI. So lisinopril, losardin, or sacubitril, and valsatrin, which is, the brand name is Intresto. In this group, we tend to start patients on one of these medications. We'll also try to start them on a beta blocker like metoprolol, succinate, or carvedilol, depending on how well their blood pressure is doing. The other medication that's an older medication is spironolactone. This is a third medication that we try to add our patients on as long as their kidney function is doing well and their potassium is not too high and the fourth medication which is a new drug that has come into play in the last couple of years is called is in the group SGLT2 inhibitors so dapagliflozin or empagliflozin are the generic names and these drugs were previously used for diabetic patients but they noticed in the last eight or so years that uh, the patients that they started, the heart failure patients that they started on these drugs had significant better outcome in the long run. And so then they did a focus study on heart failure patients on with these drugs and they noticed a significant benefit. So now it's part of our cardiology guidelines to also start these patients on, on these drugs as well. Now it's the thing with the heart failure medications is that you have to keep adding medications on and keep increasing the dose. So that's, you know, very true for the first three classes that I mentioned above. So for Entresto, beta blockers and spironolactone, you want to start them on the drugs and then increase as much as you can. The thing is, every time you increase the dose, you also have to check labs. And so it's usually for these types of patients, we need very close monitoring And we have to follow them pretty closely. So early on, we do have to see the patients maybe every one to two weeks so that we can closely follow them, make sure they're okay, make sure they're tolerating the medications and everything. And one of the things that our clinic has instituted recently is with the the department, we have established a heart failure clinic that patients can go to and that they can up titrate the drugs. And then they can routinely continue to follow up with us. And this is just one of the ways that we can ensure that our local population is getting the best care that they can in terms of heart failure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, truthfully, it we all live very busy lives. And so going to your cardiologist every one to two weeks, it's a lot, right? Right, exactly. So that's really awesome that there's a way
0: to kind of streamline it. Yes, there is a way to streamline it. And it it does sound very tedious to come to the doctor's office every once to two weeks. But again, you know, if left untreated, the mortality rate is pretty high. These are life-saving measures for patients.
1: Absolutely. Great, a great thing to, you know, ground yourself in when you're like, oh, here I go again, <laughs> another mm-hmm. week. But it's like, yeah, but it is pretty worthwhile. You know, one thing when I was looking up heart failure and just what it's all about, one common question that kept coming up was this idea of reversing heart failure. And I know we kind of touched on it a little bit beforehand,
0: but I mean, is it possible to reverse heart failure with the medications that I mentioned previously? It is possible. And I'll use the term improve. It's possible to improve your heart function, but the reason we want to steer away from that term reverse is that once your pumping mechanism improves to, you know, something close to normal, cardiac muscle cells aren't completely back to normal, like a normal person's heart. So you're still prone to going into to. Having a reduced ejection fraction again. It's important to continue taking the heart failure medications for the rest of your life. If a patient comes in and their ejection, a normal ejection fraction is 55 to 60%, and we put them on the medications that I previously mentioned, and their ejection fraction improves, and let's say they come in with 20%, we put them on the recommended medications and their ejection fraction improves to 50%. You know, that's pretty close to normal. That's, that's great. That means the medications worked, their lifestyle changes worked, but that doesn't mean that they can stop taking the medications because their cardiac myocytes, the muscle cells, aren't exactly normal. And so they will have to continue taking the medications for the rest of their life. Otherwise, you know, one of the studies that we've done is that their heart can relapse almost and they can go back into having reduced ejection fraction again.
1: So when somebody is diagnosed with
0: heart failure, you know, how does their life change? Does it have to change greatly? So yeah, you mentioned, you know, having to go in to see your doctor much more frequently. You really need to take the level of activity that you're doing to approach it in a way that's tolerable for you. You don't want to overexert yourself to where it's, you know, significantly affecting you. The other thing is diet and exercise becomes really important at that point. Exercise, you know, you want to do it to where it's tolerable. And only if your cardiologist clears you to do the exercise, a lot of patients for with who have heart failure, we've sent to cardiac rehab. Previously, we were doing cardiac rehab for patients that have stents put in after a heart attack, but also we recommend cardiac rehab for heart failure patients as well. And there's some patients in clinic that have gone to cardiac rehab and they've had significant improvement in their functional capacity. The other big one is diet. So when you have heart failure, you can't really drink, eat too much salt. Or drink too much water, you know, it has to be all in moderation. We notice that sometimes it's really hard to control that around the holidays. So we'll, we might get an influx of heart failure patients right after Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, because it's so hard to stay away from all the salty foods. That's understandable, but it's just something that patients with heart failure do have to keep in mind that they do have to be more cautious than other people. And then aside from that, you know, taking your medications regularly and making sure your underlying medical problems are taken care of. And that includes diabetes, making sure that's well-controlled. If you have high blood pressure, making sure that's well-controlled as well. And then going back to sleep apnea as well, you know, making sure that you've, if you have sleep apnea, you're compliant with the devices that have been given to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's wild that you said that one of the things that somebody with heart failure has to be cautious of is how much water they're dra- drinking, because I feel like I never can drink enough water, but that's probably mm. not true.
0: Well, you know, for a normal, healthy heart, that's okay because your heart and your kidneys can tolerate you drinking a lot of water, but that's not the same for someone with failing heart or failing kidneys. Yeah.
1: Yeah wild (laughs) because they're pretty sure you would never think about that you know it's like oh wow sometimes water could you know can have that impact when you have a harder and a kidney that aren't working the way that you would like them to be my next question I guess we, I know we talked a little bit about age way back when, and this is like completely like away from the whole flow that we were going, but this just kind of popped into my head, you know, you know, obviously heart failure comes up a little bit more when you are aging. Is there like a range that is statistically where it starts showing up more like an age group, like 40 to 50, 50 to 55 kind of thing?
0: So, you know, The older patients are more prone to having heart failure, both systolic and diastolic. But, you know, even young patients are not immune to having heart failure. And we saw that with COVID. So there were a lot of really young patients in their 20s, you know, as young as their 20s and 30s who came in with, you know, uh, ejection fraction as lowest 10. That's one of the things that we have to look out for, especially any patient that has viral illness or, you know, using any kind of illegal substance like methamphetamine or cocaine or anything like that, or alcohol, you know, they are at risk for having heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. So that's just something to keep in mind. Also patients that have heart attacks, they're at high risk of having heart, heart failure as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How can somebody lower their risk for heart
0: failure? So it just comes back to managing risk factors and making sure you treat your high blood pressure if you have it, making sure you treat your diabetes, you know, limit how much, you know, if you're smoking, try to stop, obviously, yeah. alcohol in moderation. Some things we can't unfortunately control like genetics, which can also lead to heart failure and aging and the fact that were are females. But, uh, but, you know, if you have any pre-existing medical condition like high blood pressure, diabetes, sleep apnea, and all of those, it's important that you manage those because down the road, if they're left untreated, it can progress to heart failure.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I don't think we talked on this. So we talked, you know, you you mentioned here and previously, you know, if left untreated, heart failure can, uh, you know, cause death. So Is that something that happens over like it's left untreated for like a long
0: time or is it going to kind of depend on like how bad it is? Yeah. So it kind of just depends on how bad it is. You know, any patient with heart failure is especially heart failure with reduced systolic function is prone to going into dangerous rhythms that can kill them. So those are the things that we look out for and we want to prevent. And so that's why we. patients on these medications to prevent that.
1: Is there anything that we
0: didn't cover
1: about heart failure that you want to talk about?
0: I think we we were pretty thorough on our evaluation of heart failure. (laughs) Hopefully I answered any questions that you've had related yeah. to it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I'm walking away with a wealth of knowledge for sure about <laughs> something that I came in, not
0: really knowing too much about. So yeah, thank well, I'm, you. I'm really, yeah, of course. And I'm glad. And, you know, if for any patients that still have questions related to heart failure, you know, you can always ask your provider. And if you are really, really concerned, you can always ask for a referral to cardiology and we can go through all, all these questions and provide any answers that you may have related to it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it can be intimidating to come in and talk to like, especially specialists about things, but I think we've covered pretty extensively, like why it's so important, especially with your heart, which is, you know, just such a crucial organ when things are going wrong. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Suba. It was great having you. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for having me.